0: Isn't this a great story? I mean, this story. Just reading it together this morning is—it's one of those stories. I just just love everything about this story. I love uh, just the the compassion of Jesus as you see him uh, dealing with this man. Uh, I love the um, man's—you know—his response to his uh, his own healing. Uh, I love his interaction with his uh, interrogators and uh, just, again, then at the end, you know, as Jesus comes and and really reveals himself to him, you know, all of it is just tremendous. I think probably my favorite uh, moment in the story is when the man just expresses so beautifully that simple testimony um, that you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know all the details of who this man is, but this is what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. And, you know, that, that really kind of just is an encouragement for us when it comes to sharing our faith. And, you know, part of what we're doing in this series and looking at Jesus dealing with different people is seeing, you know, his heart for People and hopefully it's an inspiration and an encouragement to us to to try to connect with people as well and sharing our faith. But but what you see with this man is just that the simplest uh, form of sharing your faith is just telling people what God has done for you. You know, he didn't know all of the ins and outs of of theology and the law and all of that, but this is what he knew. He knew that he was blind and now he could see. And sometimes that is the most powerful thing that you can say. So um, this, the uh, the message, I, I've entitled the message, Jesus and the Blind Men, and because there's more than one blind person in this story. And that's kind of what we want to emphasize today. As you look at it, there's uh, the man who's obviously physically blind, who receives his healing. But the others in the story that were blind were spiritually blind. And that is a condition much more serious than physical blindness. So it's the story of one who couldn't see and of those who wouldn't see. The man who couldn't see was made to see. Those who wouldn't see remained in their blindness. So we, we want to sort of uh, contrast those two things uh, ultimately as we come to the kind of the main point, the conclusion of our uh, message here today. But, but I want to do as we've been doing and looking at each of these Jesus encounters. I want to just sort of walk us through the story and just point out a few things as we go. So first of all, we want to note the setting. And uh, we don't know exactly when this took place in relation to the things that uh, happened in the 8th chapter, whether it was the same day or maybe a few days later. The location is still Jerusalem. And, um, but Jesus is passing by, and he sees a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this question we need to consider this for a moment because this is, you know, this was related to the theology of the the Pharisees. We're, we see that at the end when they, when they uh, castigate the man, they say, you were altogether born in sin. So their theology said that if you were born with some sort of malady, then it was because of sin. It was either uh, the sin of the parents. Some even taught that that an in, uh, you know, uh, an unborn child in the womb could sin. So this was the thinking of the day, but you know, that thinking, it was not just limited to the Pharisees. I mean, this is kind of the idea behind, uh, karma, reincarnation, things like that. Uh, you know, you, it, people in, in, say from the standpoint of, of, Hinduism or or an Eastern religious worldview. They see people who are afflicted, uh, you know, people who are born with certain uh, ailments and so forth, and and they would connect it to something bad that they might have done in a previous life or something like that. Uh, But even in our Western secular culture, isn't it true that when you see somebody who has some deformity or some malady or something like this. Isn't it true so often that there's some uh, subtle maybe, but it's there, some tendency to think that, well, they must have done something wrong. It's just the way we think. So they asked Jesus this question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Now, If you read closely, you notice that in most Bibles, there's a comma there, but actually you could put a period there. Um, And I think that that's probably what should be there. I think Jesus just, he just dismissed it immediately. It it has nothing to do with whether this man sinned uh, or his parents sinning. And then Jesus goes on and he says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming, When no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So if you read it with a comma, it seems like Jesus is saying, uh, it wasn't, you know, it was nobody's fault that he was born this way. He was born this way so God could ultimately get glory through what Jesus was about to do. And it could mean that. That's why many translators put a comma here. But because there's no punctuation in the original Greek, the context is how you determine how you punctuate something. And so some see it that a period is better because the comma then leaves you with the idea that, you know, God uh, allows this person to be born blind and live this way for all these years. So he could, you know, do this miracle, which it could be, And if God did that, that God can do that, but it might not be that at all. So that's just a little bit of a side note there. Jesus basically just says, I'm going to deal with the situation here that the works of God might be revealed in him. And so when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. A strange uh, way to deal with this situation. We would all, I think, agree with that. But, you know, John has an interesting pattern all through this gospel And it's a pattern of making a connection between Jesus and God as revealed in the Old Testament. Remember how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made. That was made. Everything was made by Him. What what does that remind us of? Well, it reminds us of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is drawing these parallels all the way through. When we looked at the the woman who was taken in the, the act of adultery, remember how Jesus knelt down and he began to write with his finger in the dirt? Remember how I pointed out that there was another place where God's finger wrote on the stone? So John seems to be making these kinds of connections. And here with Jesus forming the clay and putting it on the the eyes of the blind man, remember another place where God formed the dust. And then out of this formed dust, he breathed life into it and man came forth. So it, it seems that John is even here making a connection between Jesus, who he is and what he does with uh, the God who created everything, and so He places this upon the man's eyes, and then He sends him to the pool of Siloam. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated "sent." So the pool of Siloam—Siloam Siloam means sent. It was translated "sent" because it the, the the pool was actually filled with water that was sent from another location. And so the the name of the pool was sent. But John sees in it a prophecy that even though centuries ago, the name of the pool was Siloam, sent, they're, they're just in the very name itself. It was a prophecy of this day when the one who was sent by God from heaven to earth would send a person there to receive his sight. And so the man went and washed and he came back seeing. And then we go into the reaction of the neighbors. The neighbors uh, and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this the one who sat and begged? Some said it's him. Others said, looks like him. He chimes in, it is me. (laughs) This must have been an interesting uh, exchange there, you know, watching all of this. And so they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, now notice, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. This man has not, he never saw Jesus. He heard him. He felt his touch upon his eyes, but he never saw him. All he knows is that it was a man named Jesus. That's interesting because, of course, as we go on in the story, he will ultimately see him, but at this point, he has not seen him now in in restoring this man's sight now remember he was born blind so this was uh something that was absolutely unheard of the man even makes that point later doesn't he he says uh since the beginning of the world no one's ever opened the eyes of one who was born blind you know nothing's changed that's basically the case uh still to this very day but something that we need to realize is one of the things that the prophet said that the Messiah would do, one of the um, things that would identify the Messiah would be his opening of blind eyes. So this is going to create a difficulty for the religious leaders because Jesus is doing the very things that the prophet said the Messiah would do. Isaiah 35 verse 5 says, then in the speaking of the messianic age, but of course it's, it's brought in by the the Messiah, Jesus. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. And then in the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, the seventh verse, uh, God speaking, uh, to the savior. He says, I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes. So this man has had his eyes opened by a man named Jesus. Now Let's look for a minute at at the man uh, and his inquisitors. So they take the man now uh, and they brought him to the Pharisees. Now notice how John says in verse 14, now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. John lets us know that for a specific reason because what jesus did was a violation of the sabbath not according to god's rendering of what the sabbath was to be and and how you were to obey it but it was a violation of the the pharisees interpretation of the sabbath so the pharisees had come along the 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 ancient rabbis and so forth, they had come along and they had taken uh, God's simple command that on the, on the Sabbath day you were to do no work. And they had tacked uh, a million and one things onto it, literally 39 entire chapters on uh, Sabbath regulation. And so one of them was you couldn't make clay on the Sabbath day. That was one of their prohibitions. So Jesus did, as he would often do, he did the very thing that they said you couldn't do because Jesus honored and respected God's law entirely, but he did not honor or respect the laws of men and those laws, especially that had, uh, sought to interpret God's law. So, so this is, this is the problem from the Pharisee standpoint. It was a Sabbath day and so the Pharisees, they asked him again how he had received his sight. And he says, he put clay on my eyes and washed and I see. And let's look at verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees themselves are conflicted about it. Some say this, this man's not of God. Why? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others say, but well, well, how you know? How can a man who is not from God do this kind of a thing? Uh, I was reading. Some of you are familiar with Jay Vernon McGee and his uh, just his fun down home approach to Scripture and stories. But he said he said here when they said uh, regarding Jesus, they said this man he is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Jay Vernon McGee said. Uh, translated, this man is not from God because he doesn't do things the way we do them. And I thought, boy, this is so true. You know, nothing's changed. These days, uh, you know, people people will kind of accuse you of, of you know, you're not from God. Why? Because you're not doing things the way we do them. So Jesus had to face that as well. So they, they asked the man and let's just look at some of the responses of this man here. So they ask him again and they say, what do you say about it? He opened your eyes. The man said, he's a prophet. So for this man, I mean, to him, it's, it's pretty obvious. I was born blind. I've never seen my whole life. Now I'm standing here seeing uh, this Jesus. He must be a prophet, even though he doesn't really know anything else about him. He, he's, it's, it's the It's the logical deduction he must be a prophet. But they, of course, they resist that. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. And they asked them saying, is this your son? Notice who you say was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But by what means he sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. He is of age. Ask him. Let him speak for himself. Now John tells us in verse twenty two, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews, the leaders, had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, they had already decided at this point that anybody who would acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah was to be put out of the synagogue. Now, being put out of the synagogue was huge. This is what the rabbis would call a a person would come under the ban. And the ban didn't simply mean you couldn't go to synagogue. It meant much more than that. Of course, you obviously then were not uh welcome to the temple the synagogue and the temple were two different things somebody asked me earlier you know what what is the difference between the synagogue and the temple well the the temple was the the primary place of worship that great uh and magnificent structure there in jerusalem that traced all all the way back to uh solomon originally built it the tabernacle preceded it uh the synagogue was more a place of gathering to study the scriptures and the synagogue came into existence when the Jews were in the Babylonian captivity, but then they brought it back to Israel with them when they came back. But as far as these people are concerned, uh, what the what the Pharisees have said is that anybody who confesses that Jesus is the Messiah is going to be banned, under the ban, which meant they were not allowed into a place of worship, which meant they... Um, they were to be cut off by friends and family. It meant that they were not to be employed. It meant that their, their goods, their products, if they were, you know, sellers or whatever, nobody could buy their products. So the point in the ban was to just completely reject these people, that they were to become outcast entirely from the society, So this is the the threat that's hanging over the heads of anybody who would even suggest that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's why they're responding to the questions in this way. That's why they're saying, hey, he's of age, ask him. And so they called the man again who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. You know, it's amazing how people can do such evil things and simultaneously evoke the name of God give God the glory we know that this man is a sinner now here's where it gets really fascinating to me this you you got to hand it to this guy this guy has chutzpah. now you know he who knows how long he who knows how old he was? We don't know how old he was. The text doesn't tell us. Uh, but, but he spent his whole life blind. So, you know, you spend your whole life blind, you, you, you got to be a little tough, you know, to make it through life. So this is a guy, he, he just, he's sort of a no-nonsense guy, and he's, he's just going to push back against these guys. And I, I think the way he does this is just so Great. He says, Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, and it's almost like this is where to me he gets really testy with them. He's like, look, look, I already told you. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? I think. I don't think he thought they wanted to be his disciples. <laughs> I think he said this intentionally. I think he was poking at them with this. And of course, it brought about the desired effect because what did they say to him? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses's disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from, the man answered them and said, and this is where it gets really great, why this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. You know, This guy, like I said, I mean, he's gutsy. He's just like, wow, this is amazing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. And he obviously realizes the, the magnitude of what's happened. Of course, it's happened to him. But these guys are looking at a man who his entire life from birth has been blind, and now he's looking them in the eye, speaking to them, and they're not even phased by it. Their prejudice is so strong against Jesus, they can't, they can't see beyond their prejudice. They can't see the reality, the glory of the miracle. And you know this has been repeated over and over and over again throughout the history of the church. And it still happens today. And we see today sometimes, you know, God is doing amazing things and he's pouring out his spirit and lives are being transformed. And and yet you get this, you know, this religious crowd who all they're really concerned with are, are the, the, the rules. And all they can see is, well, you know, they're not doing this according to the rules. And so they miss the glory of what God's doing because they're all preoccupied with uh, the non-essential incidental kinds of things, but the man goes on. He says, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, with complete disdain. You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? You see the arrogance of these men. This, see, and you see their theology. You were born in sin. You're, you were born blind. You're obviously a sinner. You obviously have nothing to contribute to us at all their arrogance. And then we read this, and they cast him out. He went under that ban that I was talking about a moment ago. That's what it means. When they cast him out, they excommunicated him. They didn't just cast him out of the meeting. They cast him out as they threatened to do. But look at this. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and he went and found him. And you know, this story has also been repeated over and over again throughout history this is the beautiful side of it oftentimes when people are cast out by other people the lord does not cast them out the lord seeks them out and of course that's the that's the beautiful thing about the savior and this is part of you know what we've been talking about as we've been looking at these different stories we we just have to be so careful that we don't cast out the people that God is seeking to save, that we don't write them off, that we don't dismiss them, that we don't exclude them because of some bias or some prejudice or or some misunderstanding or misinterpretation of God's word or, or the way God is. So Jesus finds him, and he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. Wow, amazing. You have both seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. So here's the man who couldn't see, but was made to see. But now we read about those who wouldn't see. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, are we blind also? Now, I am certain that they did not ask that question in a tone of, oh no, Lord, is that who we are? It was, the tone I'm certain was arrogant. Are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus says this, he said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So, Here we have this contrast. On the one hand, we have the man who couldn't see but was made to see. On the other hand, we have those who wouldn't see and don't see. In a sense, you can look at it as those who are blind by nature and those who are blind by choice. Now, let me make this clear. We are all, spiritually speaking, we are all uh, blind by nature because we're born in sin. So just like this man, the, the, we're just like him. We were born blind. We're born blind to spiritual truth and realities. We were born in our sin, right? And so as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's, that's our natural state, and so in our natural state, we uh, do not know God. We do not have an experience with God. We do not understand, perceive the things of God. That's, that is how we are. But what God does is he sends his spirit to awaken and to illuminate us to our condition that we might be healed. So what happened to this man physically There's a parallel between that and what happens to us spiritually. Just as Jesus comes and notice Jesus heals the man. But at this point, the man is not a believer. He's not a follower. He just knows that a man named Jesus healed him. But then Jesus comes back to him with, do you believe in the son of God? And yes, Lord, you know, who is he that I might believe? And then he believes. And so... you you have the the whole process completed. Jesus doesn't just physically heal them, but he spiritually heals them. But like I'm saying, there's sort of a parallel that we can look at here because the spirit comes. And as Jesus would say later here in John's gospel, when he talked about the coming of the spirit into the world, he said, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And this is what happens. Our The through the work of the Spirit, our eyes begin to be opened. And anybody who is today a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about by experience. You know, you can remember, you you went through an experience where you began to be awakened, you began to be illuminated, you began to see things differently than you had seen them before. You begin to think about things differently than you thought about them before. I remember this process working itself out in my life. I remember this conviction of the Spirit. But at the time, I didn't know it was a conviction of the Spirit. I just knew that I started to change my thinking about certain things, certain things that I once thought were fine, and certain things that I I had no problem engaging in. I began to think that they probably weren't that great. And I began to feel like, you know, I, I I shouldn't do this. And, and this is the work of the spirit. This is where everything begins, but of course there comes a point where there's a response on our part that's necessary. And the response is that, that place of, of connecting then with the Lord. You, there, there's different things that you can do with the conviction. You can just push it away. Eventually, say, I, well, you know, I, I I, it, I, I don't like those thoughts. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna suppress those thoughts. Uh, you might translate it into more, uh, some sort of moralism where you say, "Oh, well, I just need to clean up my life and be a better person, and then that that'll take care of it." But the, of course, the ultimate objective of the the conviction of the spirit is to bring us to the place of making a decision about Jesus being the son of God and believing in him. So we look at these men here and we see that they're rejecting that. So those who respond to the conviction are like the blind man who receives his sight. Those who reject this conviction, this work of the Spirit, they're like the men here who refusing to believe remain in their sin. And people kind of, I think you could say, we come, come down into one of these two categories. We're either those that are responding to the conviction of sin in a positive way, by opening our hearts to the savior, or we are those who are resisting that conviction. We're, we're, you know, I I don't, I don't want to hear it. I already know. I don't need that. And of course that does happen. You know, the other day, my wife was telling me a story, and I don't even remember why she told me this story, but it's a story that illustrates this point. And she was reminding me of an experience that she had when we were living in London years ago, and we were pastoring a church there. And um, the church that we pastored met in a school hall. And uh, the school hall was there on a street. It was on Palace Street. And it was near to the palace, so you had a lot of foot traffic out in front of the, the school. People would walk by and we would be there every Sunday. We'd have our sign set up. Calvary Chapel, Westminster. And, you know, people people would come by and you know, you would even, hey, good morning, invite them in. So anyway, my wife being the amazingly friendly person that she is, there was a lady that was passing by one morning, and Cheryl just gave her a big smile, said hello to her. And the lady was so, uh, impressed with that. She followed her inside. And as she came into the, the area there, you know, uh, just outside the hall where people would gather, she says, well, what, what is this? And Cheryl says, well, this is our church. This is a church. Oh. And then the lady says, well, what do you do here? And Cheryl says, well, you know, among other things, we, we teach the Bible. We study the Bible together. And the lady says, oh, the Bible. The, I've, read, I've read the Bible a little bit, but I, it's just so hard to understand. I'd like to read the Bible and know what it means, but I just can't. I don't get it. And Cheryl says, well, you know, that's because you need to be spiritually born in order to really understand the Bible. Because the Bible, is, it's, a, it's a spiritual book. And she kind of paraphrased, you know, that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. He cannot know them. They're spiritually discerned. So she put that in language that the lady could understand. And all of a sudden, the lady goes, that's what I want. I want that. I need that. Now, that's the right response, isn't it? But Cheryl went on. She said, oh, well, that's great. But now, but first of all, you, you have to be, you know, in order to have this, this spiritual birth I'm talking about, she said, you know, you have to confess that you're a sinner. Oh, no, 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 I'm not a sinner, the lady said. And Cheryl said, well, you know, you are a sinner. And you, you really need to confess that. And, and no, 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 no. I, I'm not a sinner. And and Cheryl wisely, she said, "Okay, well, let me let me just let me kind of tell you what that means." And and anyway, I, I'm not going to give the illustration she did because I'll mess it up. But but it was it was really good. But she just took you know she took something that the lady would really get, and and you know she reduced it to to the level where she was really able to understand basically that, you know, we're all sinners. We, we've we all come short of the glory of God. And, and Christ came to, he came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And the lady had told Cheryl that she, <clears throat> somehow she had talked to her about her family, told, told her that uh, she had a brother. And so Cheryl kind of used her brother as the illustration. You know, what if you had, you know, parked your car and in London, they used to come along and if you parked your car in the wrong place, they would clamp it. They would, you know, it kind of like becomes their car. They put a clamp on it and then you've got to pay to get that out and all of this stuff. And so Cheryl gave the illustration of, you know, what if your car got clamped and you just had ticket after ticket after ticket, and then you ended up in jail and you couldn't pay for it, and then your brother came along and he paid for it, and, you know, she, she goes through this whole thing. So the lady gets it. The lady finally, goes, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I am a sinner then. And Cheryl says, would you like to pray? to receive forgiveness of your sins and to to have the spiritual. And she said, no, what I, could I do this? She said, I have this beautiful place in my garden at home where I like to just sit and think, would it be okay? Could I go there and just sit there and talk to God about this? And of course, Cheryl said, yeah, absolutely. You could do that. But I'm telling you this story because that woman illustrated the heart that we're talking about, a a receptive heart, a heart that says, yes, that's it. I, I need that. I want that. And that's this man. He doesn't just... contend himself in the fact that he's no longer blind. Jesus says, do you believe in the son of God? He says, who is he? So I can believe in him. He wants it all. He wants everything. And that's the way God wants us to respond to his his offer that comes through those convicting times where he's showing us the truth and he's showing us our need but you know the sad thing is there are many that that won't come but the question that I often ask I know the answer to it but I still ask it why would anybody in darkness refuse to come out into the light Do you know anybody that it just, they're miserable in the darkness, but they're, they're just absolutely committed to staying there. I know people like that. Their lives are miserable and they will tell you how miserable their lives are. And they are so bitter at the misery in their lives. And they even to some degree recognize that there's, there's darkness around them. And then you invite them into the light. Come out of that darkness. And they don't want it. Why? How, how can that be? Well, earlier in this gospel, we are given the answer to that question. This is condemnation. That light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That's the problem. You see, it's not a matter at that point of they couldn't. It is a matter that they wouldn't. And those are the two categories. And so it comes down to choosing to remain in the darkness or choosing to come out of the light. You see, God awakens us like we've already seen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're going to keep going astray apart from some intervention by God. So God intervenes. He starts convicting us. He's wanting to lead us. But at the end of the day, he is not going to pick you up and transition you from darkness to light. There's a point where you have to say, Lord, yes, take me there. There's a point where we make a decision. We choose. And so could, there are those who could not and there are those who will not. But if it's merely the matter of could not, know this, that God will bring you out of that. He'll remove those those obstacles, and and there are people today who really there are stumbling blocks, there are obstacles, there are things, and and kind of like that lady, uh, you know, they just need to understand. They need to have clarity on it. They need to know. Okay, explain to me what does this really mean? And once they get it, they're like, oh yes, okay, I understand that. I get that. But of course there are those as well that you will explain it to and explain it to over and over again, and they will get it. And then in the end, they'll say, you know what? I get it, but I don't want it. You know, sometimes we think that people are unbelievers because they don't understand. And sometimes that's true, but you know what? Sometimes people are unbelievers because they do understand and they don't want what God offers. So they then become atheists and say, there is no God. Not because they've got all kinds of great evidence that there is no God, but really because it's more convenient to not have a God because I don't want anyone that I'm accountable to. But in the end, we, we make that choice. Are we blind? also, they said to Jesus? He said, because you say you see, your sin remains. If they would have acknowledged their blindness, they would have been healed of it. And that's how it happens. You acknowledge your need for the Savior, and he comes. And you put your faith in the Son of God, and that changes everything for time and eternity. So, Lord, help us to learn lessons from this beautiful story of your dealing with this man. And Lord, we thank you that your heart is to heal, your heart is to restore, your heart is to save. And oh Lord, may our hearts be tender toward that work of your spirit. And Lord, may we who have already responded to that work of your spirit, Lord, may we, always remain open and sensitive to your working in our hearts, in our ongoing walk with you. But Lord, may we remain open and sensitive as well to the way you're working in the lives of other people. And Lord, would you help us to just be a help to others in removing stumbling blocks in removing obstacles. So, Lord, that as that blindness lifts, Lord, that they might come and embrace you. Lord, we know that there are even some today who will not, but that is not a final state. We know that there are some who will not today who will tomorrow or next year or five years from now. So help us not to lose hope. Help us not to lose heart. Help us to keep praying. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that's, maybe somebody's here that could not, but now they realize that you will give them grace. Lord, draw them to yourself. Maybe there's some here who up to this moment will not. Lord, may their hearts be softened today to respond to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.